0: listening to treasuring scripture a podcast of the weekly teaching ministry of Lebanon Baptist Church Roswell Georgia to learn more about our ministry please visit us at lebanonbaptist.org a lot of times it's like agony it's like trying to study what is god saying in this text what is uh, what does god want us to hear through these words and as I'm in agony of just, God, help me to be able to clearly explain this to your people. And then we sing that song and the incredible privilege I have to this morning. I get to tell you what our Father tells you to do and what our Father has encouraged you with. And this morning, I hope that you indeed didn't just sing that song, but you prayed that song. Speak, O Lord, today through me. All right, today, let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 6. Matthew 6 is the section of God's Word that we will focus our attention on today. Many of you know that we are in a series that we began just a few weeks ago on the Lord's Prayer. And this morning, we continue in that series. We began the details of the prayer, or today we begin the details, we began kind of the the context of those prayers the last two weeks, and this morning what I'd like to do is go and begin to explore the prayer in depth and we will look at the first phrase that is found in that beautiful prayer but let me begin by reading to you kind of the introduction what we looked at last week and then the first phrase that we will look at this morning I'll begin reading in Matthew 6 verse 5 and make our way to th- verse 9 it says this and when you pray you must not be like the hypocrites." Do not be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This morning... We are going to, as we've done each week of this series, pray with me, kind of a traditional Lord's Prayer, but let me invite you to pray it with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the glory and power forever. Amen. Did I just mess that up? (laughs) God knows. Okay. I've only said that hundreds of times. Would you join me as I continue to pray? Our Father, we do ask for divine enablement today. That we would hear your voice through these words. And Lord, grow us today as we wait to be with you face to face. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was on January 6th, 1927, the first unofficial phone call occurred over the Atlantic. Two men testing for the next day's official phone call across the ocean. It's funny that one of the first statements was this. Can you hear me now? Okay. (laughs) At that moment, the world became a whole lot smaller. Instant communication has, in many ways, changed our world. Fortunately, the most powerful form of communication had already been in play from the very beginning. Prayer. Not across the ocean, but from earth to heaven. Sadly, too many of us communicate more on our devices and on our phones than we do ultimately in prayer. Last week, I reminded you of the context of the Lord's Prayer and teaching us how, in many ways, not to pray. We looked at how... This prayer is within the context of a beautiful sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And in this sermon, Jesus shares what it looks like to live like a citizen of heaven while you're still living in the kingdoms of men. And Jesus showed us in many ways what a relationship with God actually should look like in prayer. One person said it this way, your prayers reveal your deepest convictions about God, about yourselves, and about your world. Your prayers reveal, in many ways, your worldview. Last week, we saw how Jesus taught us not to pray. We're not to pray to be seen of men. We have to learn how to pray to him in secret. We also learned we're not to pray to manipulate God with our many words or with our phrases. We are to pray simply and directly to Him. Today, what I'd like us to do as we open the Lord's Prayer is I want us to see how to begin to pray. We've learned how not to pray, but now how do I begin in reference to prayer? Where do I start I'm one of the ones that when I don't know where to start a project, I just don't start it. It's like, okay, where do I go on this? Or I just keep putting it off until I finally take the time to know, okay, first step right here, this is where I begin. Thankfully... We have where Jesus tells us to begin to pray, where to start. And it's in that first phrase, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's in that phrase we learn where to start. Of course, this is found in Matthew's record. I've told you that the uh, the Lord's Prayer is found in both Matthew and Luke. And in the Matthew version of the Lord's Prayer, it is more full. It's more, uh, you have more phrases that are found in it. And I've told you that Jesus probably taught this prayer on numbers of occasions. In Matthew's record, okay... He gives us really how to begin to pray. Remember, as we do this and as we look at it, Jesus is not saying that the form that I'm about to teach you must be followed strictly, but it must be understood thoroughly and must be practiced similarly. So where do you and I begin to pray? How do we start? I'm going to give you two truths this morning, very simple. And the first is this. As you begin to pray, acknowledge your place in the family. Let me say that again. Acknowledge your place in the family. And it's seen in that first phrase, our father in heaven. That first phrase is filled with familial Connotations. You say, How? This is the idea. It's, it, it's basically in that first phrase you have an affirmation by the prayer of their part in God's family. And I want to focus on three different parts of that little phrase. And the first is this are. Notice the whole Lord's Prayer starts with our Father. R is a plural pronoun. Okay, many of you didn't know you had an English lesson today. As we pray, we ought not to be so individualistic. We think so often of our own needs all the time. But it's interesting, as you read through the Lord's Prayer, there are no eyes or me's. They're absent in the Lord's Prayer. Now, does the R, when Jesus is teaching it, does that R mean that Jesus is with us in the prayer? Of course, Jesus is always with us. He told us he's going to be with us to the end of the age. But was Jesus simply saying R that it's like you and Jesus who are the ones praying? Of course, Jesus is your elder brother in a way. But I believe that that word are seems to be pointing more to our siblings in the faith. Jesus, as he's teaching this, he says, are, it's like as you pray this, realize that there are other disciples. There are God's people. I've told you many times from this pulpit That you need to remind yourself that you are a child of God, but you are not an only child. When you come to God, you come as a member of a great big family. Now this week I saw uh, Pastor Josh was away in Colorado at a family reunion. Uh, Josh has a lot of brothers and sisters And I saw a picture of Pastor Josh. And if you don't know who Josh is, he's the one who did the corporate prayer. There was a picture and it was a a massive amount. I think they have 45 grandchildren in that family. Okay. And big family. And of course, the Roland, the five Roland girls are just five of the many of the cousins. Let me tell you. That you also, if you came to believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're part of a massive family. It's much larger than the Roland household. And as you pray, you ought to begin with this acknowledgement. And what does that do? When you realize that He's not just your Father, He's our Father. That acknowledgement helps inoculate you to your own selfishness, while at the same time, thankfully affirming your privileged part of being in a big family of other believers are. Because when we don't realize this, when it's all about me and about I, we could end up in many ways like James and John's mom, when she asked Jesus... the privileged seats for her son and what do the other disciples do i mean you're just thinking about you it's almost like remember when you were young and you went to those family reunions you were immature and when the line opened who would want to be first in line you would I want to get up there. I want to get up front. But the older you matured and the more you uh, grew in age, you realized, I can't just always be pushing myself to the front and always thinking about me. And I think Jesus, right at the outset of this Lord's Prayer, wants to remind you that you're part of a big family. And don't just be thinking about you and about your needs and about yourself you are incredibly privileged, and you have so many other people as part of your family. But acknowledge, and, and you may not say that every time you pray, but I think it's something that Jesus taught us to consider and think about our Father. So, number one, R. We looked at that word. What about Father? That's the second one I want you to see the family connotations. R talks about your siblings. Father talks about your father. Isn't it interesting that of all the names that God has, because he has many names, that Jesus chose or to focus our attention on on the term father. He says when you call on him, call him father. And this of course focuses our attention on how God is the source and the giver of all life, but he's also our father and provider and friend. What this also does is it directs us to one of the persons within the Trinity. Now, I would tell you that it's not wrong of course, for you to pray to Jesus or to the Holy Spirit. But as you read the text of Scripture, the normal practice is to pray to the Father. Of course, you're you're able to do that through the Son. And of course, the Holy Spirit is the one who enables you with everything you do. But remember that they are all one. And so when you do talk to the Father, the others hear. Okay? But this shows, when you say the word father, it shows the special status that you and I share. And when you actually use those terms, it should be something that is humbling but incredibly comforting. Yes, God is fatherly. To all the earth, in fact, the Bible says he sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust as we saw last night, okay? But he is particularly and especially father to those who have been born a second time. Those who've experienced the second birth and that's those who have received Jesus as their savior. So if you're here today and you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and savior, yes, there is a God who is fatherly, but he is not your father. Only those who have come to know God through his son, Jesus, and received him is he indeed your father. In fact, in, in Galatians 3 verse 26, it says, for in Jesus Christ, you are all sons of God. How did this happen? It was through faith. You depended on him and you became a son of God, which now you have a father. Before that, he was not your father. In fact, remember Jesus talking to some of those who were. Rejectors of him and he said in John chapter 8 verse 44 he says to these people who had not accepted him you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires he was a murderer from the beginning that does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him when he lies he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar in the father of lies. What happened to you was you were moved from being somebody who had another father. You now have the most gracious father. And he tells you to call on him. In fact, John Calvin said to call God father. If you really can say that with full meaning and you continually do that, to call God father is basically what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Because Jesus brought you into that situation. So when you say, Father, you remember this. So as you pray, you think, R, I'm part of this great big family. And, and Father, I'm in Christ. I'm in the family. I've been adopted. I'm one of his own. It was uh, almost a year ago at uh, Dr. Jarnigan's funeral last year. Dr. Jarnigan, of course, many of you are familiar with him. If you're new to our church, he was a member of our church for many years and the Lord took him home last summer. But it was at his funeral, his son-in-law, Alex, gave a beautiful eulogy of how for years before he was married, he looked forward to meeting his new father, his father-in-law. He, he was in the practice of, I want to be able to call my father-in-law dad and father. And he looked forward to that. And when he finally married Hannah, he could actually call Dr. Jarnigan dad and father. When you came to Christ and you were married with him, you now can call him father. Yes, there may be some uncomfortableness because of formal backgrounds and all of that. There may be fear of acceptance. Is he going to accept me if I actually call him father? I mean, with all the things I did against him for all of these years... And of course, as Jesus is teaching this, he uses flawed human illustrations because no doubt there are numbers of you in here that when you think of father, sometimes bad connotations come up because of your broken background. And it's hard for you to understand that and see that because you did not see it in your earthly fathers. But God oftentimes uses illustrations, human illustrations, human pictures like he's the good shepherd but of course you're going to have bad shepherds of of course you're going to have these things that will struggle but ultimately one of the places I hope you will learn the true picture of what those look like is when a church in a church family and then you see other fathers and other people stepping in to fulfill some of those particular roles But by addressing God as your father, what you do is you affirm your adoption. You know, sometimes my kids have called me Brian, kind of joking myself. Hey, Brian. And of course, as soon as they've done that, I've said, uh-uh, Mm-mm. I've responded, no, you call me father or dad. And I tell them, there are only three people in this world who can call me father. And I want you to be those who do that. Okay. Now there was a fourth. Okay. I led this Catholic guy to the Lord in my first church. And for a long time, he always called me father as well. Okay. (laughs) But I don't think he does it anymore. Okay. But you know what God does when he adopted you into his family? One of the things he wants you to get used to calling him is your father. So when you pray, you should affirm your siblings in some ways. It may not. You're not addressing your siblings, but you recognize I'm in a big family. You addressed your father. It means something to you, and it shows to others what you truly believe, that I'm part of a big group. I have a father. You're part of a family. And you know what? That, that's incredibly helpful for you to think those thoughts. Further, he adds one more part. Our father, and then he says this, in heaven. Now, it's interesting. Matthew often refers to heaven. He does it all through his gospel. Now, this could refer simply to the abode of God. But I think there's more that's involved in this. Okay? We know that God's in heaven... But of course, the heavens can't contain him. He's he's everywhere. He's he's omnipresent. I I believe that when, when Jesus uses our Father in heaven, the phrase not only speaks of his abode, but his majesty and his transcendence. He is beyond us. He is great. Not only is he good, illustrated by Father, because when you think of Father's The idea is he is a good, good father. But he doesn't want us to just think that he's good. He wants us to think that he's great. And when you think of our father who is in heaven, that is a majestic title. It's it's like you're married. It's like you married not into a very loving family, but you married into an incredibly wealthy family. In fact, you married into royalty. Our father in heaven. Yes, your family may be living frugally now, but your inheritance is great. So why does Jesus begin the Lord's prayer with familial relationships, all of those connotations, Because what this does, and I want you to catch this, when you pray and you actually think through those truths and what got you to that position, it establishes the moorings of your faith. It expresses them in very concise words to God and directs your heart to the realities above. It helps you to think, not on earth, but in heaven. You think of what you truly are. I'm part of this big family. I have a father. I have an Abba. I have a dad who is in heaven, who's in charge of all of that's going on in this world. Yes, just like there is oftentimes an adjustment with in-laws. Will I be accepted? Will I be liked? Will I find a place within this family? We can have doubts about that. And I think this opening phrase is there for a reason. And as you address your father, you acknowledge your place in the family. And it's incredibly stabilizing to you. You know, some of you, some of you recently lost your father, your real father. Some of you have gone through that valley. And of course, there probably isn't a day that doesn't go by that you're like, I wish I could just talk to my dad. I wish I could just go to him and just... I got this going on and this going on. And you just wish you, he was there. And those of you who are not there yet, there will be a day if the Lord tarries that some of the dear ones you want to talk to aren't going to be there. But let me tell you this. There is a father... That you can talk to all the time. And He loves you, and He is in heaven, and He has numbers of children, and He wants you to come to Him. The Bible never says and gives you assurance that your earthly dad will hear you now, but it does tell you that your heavenly Father is listening, He's attentive. And when you pray, you pray, our Father in heaven. And what that does is this, it is incredibly stabilizing to you. It's where you're reminding, you're talking to God, but you're reminding yourself, I got a big family, I can't be selfish, I got to think of life with them, I've got a Father in heaven who's got all the resources, and whatever I may face this week, and whatever I may go up against... He's already given his son for me. And if he's given me his son, he knows what I'm going through. And everything that I'm going to go through, he's going to work it all for good. And I'll tell you that that's stabilizing to you. And if you can think those thoughts when you pray. You learn to live as a citizen of heaven while you're still the citizens of men. So that's the first way to begin your prayers. Acknowledge your place in the family. But there's a second way to begin your prayers. And it's the last part of verse 9. And it's this. Hallowed be your name. And here we learned this. Okay? Begin your prayers not only by acknowledging your place in the family, but number two, align your priorities under his. Let me say that again. Align your priorities, not with his, but under his. Now, if you look at the whole Lord's Prayer, what you'll notice is that there are six petitions that are given in the Lord's Prayer. Some people say seven and they divide the last petition into two. But we're not going to debate that today. Let's just say there's six Petitions. But recognize as well that the first three of those petitions that are given are focused on God's priorities, not your priorities. The last deal with us. But here we learn our focus must begin with God's priorities. As I mentioned earlier, like a kid... Who always likes to be first in line at the reunion? Okay, as I said that, we need to mature and we need to learn as we grow in our prayers and as we grow in our maturity in the faith. It's not like, God, I got this, 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 and this. Amen. As we learn how to focus on God's priorities first, you know what happens? Our requests begin to gain perspective. Of course, the Bible says, but seek ye first the kingdom or seek first the kingdom of God, him and his righteousness. And what does he say? And all these other things shall be added unto you. He says, don't, don't worry about this or about that, about clothing, about food, about paying your rent, about this decision or that decision. He says, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and he will take care of all these. So when you begin to pray, it ought not to be, Father, I got a list. Father, I acknowledge there are some bigger priorities in life than me you know we often do it's like praying with somebody and as you're praying with let's say you're praying with someone tonight at church and you're praying and you're praying that your team would win the ball game oh i really hope my team will win this ball game And they're praying, okay, for a child whose life is hanging in the balance. As you begin to pray together, then you realize, my ball team has no real significance in reference to these other priorities. In the same way, what you do is as you begin to pray God's priorities, and you start praying what he's desiring it will often shift the way you pray in your prayers because what you're asking for may not actually be important. You may think it's important, but he knows what's important and he's working all things out. So you might as well pray what he desires. And Jesus's first request for us is that we would pray this, hallowed be your name. Now, what in the world does that mean? Okay. Okay. It's not used much. The word hallow, of course, the only time we often use that is at Halloween, a set-apart day. But that word hallow means to be sanctified or to regard as holy. And what Jesus is asking us to pray is it's praying that God's name would be set apart, that his name would be lifted up, that his name would be glorified. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, the idea here would be that God's name would be magnified. In fact, in in Psalm 34 verse 3, it says, Oh magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Would you allow God, would you allow your name, your name and your fame to grow in astronomical ways? Now, it's not that his name is not already holy. Is God's name holy? Yes. Is he set apart in the heavens? Yes. But his name is not recognized and glorified and set apart on earth as it is in heaven. It's not set apart in our own lives. In fact, it is often blasphemed and taken in vain. That's why he tells us in the Ten Commandments, don't take my name in vain. God's name is a special name and it ought to be hallowed and set apart. His reputation. So this request is that God's name would be magnified. And I believe that what this request involves is first and foremost to those who bear his name. So, those of us who are believers in Jesus, we are called Christians. We bear the name of Christ. And when we pray, God, hallowed be your name, in some ways it's this: it's you are praying for God's reputation to be clearly displayed and set apart rightly by his people, rightly by you. How do you advertise Jesus' name? You know, every, every day you go out into this world and if you claim to be a Christian, you are advertising God's name by the way you live, by the way you talk, by where you go, by your reactions to situations. And the sad thing is what you post online, you reflect on God's name. And when you say, God, hallowed be your name, as you pray that, that's his priority. What it does in many ways is it helps realign you to really what your priority should be. And it's this, I am created you live for God's glory and when you pray hallowed be your name it is your daily alignment with God's purpose in your life he created you to glorify him and live for him and when you think those thoughts you may not say hallowed be your name but if you know what he means there and you express it in your own words what it does is it realigns you for what life is all about Further, that petition is also for the mission that God gave you in life, and that is that the world would ultimately set apart God's name. Okay, I mean, think about our world right now. Is Jesus Christ's name fully set apart and lifted up in this world? No. You think of all the unreached people groups that don't even know Jesus's name. You think of Roswell and the Atlanta area and so many people who don't glorify Jesus. They live for themselves. And, they, and then ultimately because of their sin and their separation from God, they're going to be one day in hell. And your, your heart is that God's name would not only be lifted up in you, but that other people would come alongside of you and also love God's name and set apart his name. Until one day when we're all with him, And when I say all, all of his children, his name will be fully recognized and seen. And that leads to the next request, of course, it's going to be there as we'll see next week. But God, that your name would be glorified. Al Mohler said it this way, God is asking, or Jesus is asking God to so move and act in the world that people would value his glory, esteem his holiness, and treasure his character above all else. And it is as we pray this first in our prayers, we remind ourselves of our place in the world. Within God's family, and we ask Him to help us to live out the purpose that He created us to do. So, Lebanon Baptist Church, here is how the Lord's Prayer begins. It begins by telling us how to start. Step one, you got to do this you got to acknowledge your place in the family. I've got a father, I've got a family. And it's not just any family. I have a father in heaven. And God, today, not only do I want to acknowledge my part in the family, I also want to align myself with the right priorities. And you know what's more important than anything else that's going to happen in my life today? It's your name. And I want to glorify it in my life. I want more people to recognize it. Imagine you thought those thoughts every day. Imagine you woke up every day and you didn't just go through the rote ritual of saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You actually thought about your familial relationship with God and all he's done for you and all that he has access to and how he's working everything out for your glory. And then you pray, God, I want your name to be glorified in my life by what i watched today, by my interactions with my family, by this and this and this. This brings God into the equation. And I'll tell you, what does our world need? We need people who pray and learn how to live with God and live in a relationship with him. And, And what happens is people see that, They see Christ and God brings more people to his family. This is how we pray. Lord, teach us to pray by aligning ourselves with his priorities and by acknowledging our place in the family. Would you begin to do that even this week? Imagine you did it all this week and you started that habit. You know what? It would radically change your life. That's why we need to say, God, teach us to what? teach us to pray let's pray this week imagine you did it all this week and just started that habit you know what it would radically change your life that's why we need to say god teach us to what teach us to pray let's pray thank you for listening to treasuring scripture it's our desire that every christian treasure god's word in their heart to follow our podcast please hit the subscribe button If you're interested in learning more about our church, please visit lebanonbaptist.org.